So that conversation came up and I basically proposed to her. I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we brought all of our friends together from every walk of life? And here I had lived in Argentina, like had girlfriends from college in the Midwest, had friends from high school in the Northeast and, and you know, this like smattering of friends, but they didn't really know each other with the exception of like an occasional birthday or holiday party. But what if we came together for a different intention and learned from one another? And for me, it was important not to go around and be like, hi, my name's Emily. It starts with E, mine's just egg. <laughs> or, you know, it's one of those like getting to know you games and yeah, yeah. your seven minute tele- uh, elevator pitch. And you want to like shrivel into a ball and die after you hear the fourth one because you're so bored. So for me, I wanted to come up with a strategy that we can get everyone together without talking about the bachelor or the bachelorette and have like real intentional conversations where they're also meaningful. Um, and what, for me, the, the only solution I saw was having everyone submit their bio in advance and me handpick who they met. And so I did it completely as an experiment, just as a one-off. And then from that, that became like people begged me to do it again and again and again and again. Welcome to the Lifestyle Edit Podcast, a show about creative female entrepreneurs and the businesses they've built. I'm your host, the Lifestyle Edit founder, Naomi Mdudu, and each week I deep dive with a female founder on topics like business models and revenue streams, marketing and branding, building a team and scaling, and how they are managing to cultivate a life and business they love, and all on their own terms. Our goal each week is to take you on a narrative journey of the opportunities and challenges in business right now and offer insights you can immediately apply in growing or starting your business. Well, Emily, welcome to the Lifestyle Edit podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am so pleased that we're doing this. Um, So you have managed some events for incredible brands in your career from Tory Burch, Ralph Lauren, Intermix, the list kind of goes on. So you were doing all of that before starting the business. How did you get started? Did you always have, was it always your intention to go into events? It's such a good question. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I was one of those people that I thought you were supposed to have a life plan. And when I came to graduating college, I didn't have that life plan at all. So when I graduated college, I moved to Argentina. Um, I was a Spanish and communications double major and the economy was in, was not doing very well when I graduated. So I decided to, to pick a, com- a country that was third world and had a better exchange rate than New York did at the time. And it's actually funny through my time in Argentina, that's how I landed in events. And it was one of those backwards, you met the right person who put, pointed you in the right direction of the right person. So I started my career. My first job back in New York was in events and it unfolded from there. So, you know, having worked at so many incredible brands and, you know, quite large scale events, what were some of your biggest takeaways from those experiences that have kind of laid the foundation for everything that you're doing now? Oh, then nothing is the end of the world, that we're not curing cancer, that everything is has a solution to it. We had moments that I feel like I still have PTSD from these moments where um, the music wouldn't work or there wouldn't be the right button for the server's jacket or uh, the glove didn't fit. We At Ralph Lauren, we would have all of the servers get their hair done and have wear these white Milan jackets and um, white gloves. And it was just a very premier service. And here I am coming back from Argentina, a little hippie, hippie dippy, you know, just vowing that why do people care so much about name brand things? And of course, the first career that I have is with one of the most <laughs> premier brands. Oh, it was hilarious. There was so many funny mishaps that in hindsight, I I wish I had, you know, had more of a goal to be like, do we have to do it this way? But it was just accepted that that was the way that it needed to be. Um, But yeah, so the biggest takeaways are that things always have a solution. And even when it feels like the end of the world and the biggest like disaster, it's only a big disaster to you and not to everyone else. And perception is so limited sometimes. 
It's so funny you say that because events scare the living daylights out of me. Like, Don't, do they? Yeah, to- huh. totally, totally. Um, so I remember Emily and I were together before one of her events in New York. And I was just struck by how, like, chill you were. Like, you know, things were popping up. You were, like, juggling it. Like, not a big deal. You were just, like so mellow so I was just like I need I need a little bit of what she's <laughs> it's funny you say that one of my girlfriends who I've done events for in the past she she's always told me she she kind of calls me a psychopath she's like are you I think you're stressed out but you <laughs> show no fear right now so I'm not quite sure what's going on and I'm someone who I don't like to articulate my fear I don't like to to say hey I'm really nervous that's for me to deal with if that's the case. Also, I kind of, I think I do have like an inner, be able to talk myself out of something. So I know that there will be a lot of people listening right now who are thinking about taking the leap with a business idea. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you to share some advice of just some of the things that people should consider um, and have in place before leaving. Because I know that you were really organized. You had like four months rent in the bank, right? Oh my gosh. Before you left. Yeah. Um, I, yes, New York four months rent doesn't go, doesn't last that long, unfortunately. Um, gosh, did, yeah, I did. I had just about that. And if I was to do it again, oh, I go back and forth on this one because I was organized to an extent and I, I had about 5k in savings in the bank account. And, um, when the moment hit me that I knew I was ready to leave, I don't think you can ever be as prepared as you need to be. I, it was, it was weird. It was this sensation that literally crept through my body and this feeling, this tingle that I just, that overcame me. And I realized like, I need to not be in the corporate world anymore and I need to pursue this. And how do I put that plan into motion? And I said it out loud as many times as possible. And so I had witnesses to to hold me accountable to what I was going to do. Because there's also that fear of like, oh, well, I could just switch to another job or I could stay at this job or um, I don't know. But saying it out loud and saying to people, this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan um, really helped get the ball in motion. But yeah, saving wise, I think there's there's two different ways to look at it. And here's my take on it. Cause I have a friend who recently just left her job and she had a lot more in the in the savings department than I did. And in a way, I think when you have a lot in savings, it gives you a lot more runway and also a lot more, uh, time to second guess yourself. Very like, true. I never thought of it that way. So this, yeah, that's my take on it is, so I didn't have that much in savings. So my fire in my belly was raging. I felt like, I need to hustle my pants off to figure out the solution to, to making money. So I was, not only was I doing my business and trying to figure out like how to monetize that, which we'll talk more about later, but, um, I was accepting babysitting jobs. I was dog sitting. I was renting out my apartment every other month. Um, I was being really scrappy. I was also learning how to say no, which was probably the best thing I've ever learned how to do because I'm a notorious people pleaser. And it was a really nice thing to, in a way, have this excuse, kind of like when you had your mom when you were in high school and you didn't want to go out and you're like, sorry, my mom won't let me go out tonight. That was my business for me. So, but it's so interesting that you say that because I, I think I was listening to another podcast. Um, I think it was Franish Tarabi's So Money podcast, and she was interviewing someone, and they were saying that, yeah, it's what you were saying, you know, saying no to those kind of job opportunities or freelancing gigs that's going to take mm-hmm. you away from focusing on that business and on your business and just being prepared to do some of the not so glamorous work that just keeps the money ticking in but allows you oh, yeah. your head to still be in your priority, which is kind of building this business. Yes, exactly. And it was, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for that. And I also think that whenever you see someone who says, um, oh, I can't believe you're doing those things. Like those aren't your friends. (laughs) Those people don't get you, which I didn't really, I didn't really go through that, but still, I think it's really important. Like you the hustle is real and, um, you know, a business owner wears a lot of different caps, including babysitter. <laughs> and 
whatever they need to do. So had you started the business while you were still in your last role or how did that yes. happen? So you'd already, it already kind of started. Yeah. So I had started it back in 2014 and I was at Tory Birch at the time. And oh gosh, I remember the moment and that feeling of when it even started so, so vividly. I was sitting with my work wife um, who now lives in Chicago and is very active in the Chicago chapter, which is really cool. But I was talking to her and I was asking her, like, do you ever feel like there has to be more than this? That we're not. Oh, I know that yeah. feeling. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure everyone has had this conversation because now I'm at this point. I realized so I was what, 27 or 26 at the time. I'm like, let's do math. Yeah, 20, 26, 27 at the time. And I'm getting a lot of people at the same age asking me these questions now. And I was like, oh, this is like very much a rite of passage question where you're at this job that's supposed to be your dream job. And it's supposed to be like the job that people will murder you for. And you're not happy. So why are you not happy? And what's the what equals happiness in your world? And like, what is happiness and all of that fun, you know? you know, woo-woo stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that conversation came up and I basically proposed to her. I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we brought all of our friends together from every walk of life? And here I had lived in Argentina, like had girlfriends from college in the Midwest, had friends from high school in the Northeast and, hand, you know, this like smattering of friends, but they didn't really know each other with the exception of like an occasional birthday or holiday party. But what if we came together for a different intention and learned from one another? And for me, it was important not to go around and be like, hi, my name's Emily. It starts with E, rhymes with egg, <laughs> or, you know, it's one of those like getting to know you games and yeah, yeah. your seven minute tele uh, elevator pitch. And you want to like shrivel into a ball and die after you hear the fourth one, because you're so bored. So for me, I wanted to come up with a strategy that we can get everyone together without talking about the bachelor or the bachelorette and have like real intentional conversations where they're also meaningful. Um, and what, for me, the, the only solution I saw was having everyone submit their bio in advance and me handpick who they met. And so I did it completely as an experiment, just as a one-off. And then from that, that became like people begged me to do it again and again and again and again. So to answer your question, <laughs> the business started, but it didn't, wasn't a business really at that point what I loved mm -hmm. so much about your events is that it's really about who you are and mm -hmm. as a result just beautiful relationships emerge it's not about you know where you work what industry you work in mm -hmm. it's just about putting an amazing group of like-minded women and just letting the magic unfold without it kind of being pushy or you know thirstiness going on which I love thank you thank you yeah I think a lot can be accomplished in a 15 minute connection. You can get a sense of someone's essence so quickly. And if you want to see that person again, it's kind of like, oh, I, I just got a, a fragrance sample and I really liked that fragrance sample and I want to buy that fragrance bottle. But um, for a person where you're really eager to, to like get to know them in a greater level. And I've had so many 15 minute connections that have turned into like beautiful friendships or collaborations, <clears throat> but never like an intentional, like we not, we must work together type feeling. Um, or we've had conversations or haven't even talked to them about what they've done before. And we're like, Oh shoot. Like, what do you do again? Yeah. <laughs> but not that that matters at all. They're like, Oh, I'm a plumber. You're like what? Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's so nice to show up as who you are, not what you do. What do you do again? Okay. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I'm sure that conversation, that, that question irritates you just as much because then all of a sudden you're like, okay, here we go. Elevator pitch ready. Go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, first of all, like I'm going to bore you because there's so many things going like, where do I even begin? And also let's just have like a normal conversation before mm -hmm. we start figuring out whether you're, I'm of any use to you. And as much as I love New York, it can be a bit of a challenge oh. in that respect. Um, so it was what you've created is definitely needed. Why do you think that women in particular need a networking space of their own? 
So I find that there are already the old boys clubs in in the world, not just limited to New York City, but you know, historically, if you think about all of the the great classic clubs, it started out of London. You guys ruined it. <laughs> You're they're the ones who created it's these true. traditions. Um, but these old boy clubs, and where they go and they smoke cigars and they talk about, I don't know what they talk about. To be honest, we can ask the old boys about it. But they they go to golfing together, and you, I think networking has always been at least for me, and this is probably a huge generalization, but I think networking has always been synonymous to like men on the golf course to me. That's what I think of like, oh, I'm going to go network. I'm going to go play golf. And like, that's a guy's version of networking and, or go to a cigar club. And for women, there's not, there's not a woman's space, which I do think there's so many, I've I've started this in such an ideal time and culture where it feels like, women's spaces are popping up left and right with the wing and empress and all these incredible places. Um, but you know, historically there's not generally like a woman's space. And when you do think of a woman's space, I think of like the junior league, which reminds me of a grown up sorority, which I, I was in a sorority and I so adored being in it, but I think there's a, like a rigidness that doesn't have to be a part of a woman's space either. Like it doesn't have to be like, a bitchy girl telling another girl what to do or what they did wrong, or what money they owe, or I don't know. I just think there, well, there could even be just gossip. I think that was one of the things that you and I connected on instantly. Yeah. I think it was, we were like talking 10 to the dozen and it's like, it's so nice to not just have to talk about relationships and yes. this kind of stuff and just have like really interesting conversations. conversations. Yes, I know. I completely I think that's interesting, and I'm curious if you feel this, and I feel like we mentioned this when we talked. Um, like, when you have friends that aren't entrepreneurs, you have to kind of, like, turn off your entrepreneur brain a little bit and, like, dial it down, and you're like, so tell me about your dating life. <laughs> like, yeah. tell me tell me what, what's going on. And you're, like, back to boy talk or, like, back to normal talk. And then, like, when you connect with an entrepreneur friend or, like, business friend, you're like, okay, so... I love what you did last month, but have you ever considered doing in your like exactly. I like <laughs> yeah. totally geek off of those conversations completely. So obviously, great idea. How did you? Was there any moment that you realized, okay, this is not just a great idea for my friends and my network, <laughs> but this can actually be a viable business? Yes. So. One of my friends from college, she had seen on Facebook, I was very, very nervous to like share things publicly on Facebook because I didn't want the people from who I worked with to see it and be like, she's not doing her work. What is this thing? Which now I feel people wear their side hustles on their sleeves a bit more uh, openly. Um, So I had had it be like a secret newsletter initially where people would tell their friends and then their friends would tell their friends and it grew organically, which was really cool to see. Everyone was pre-approved for the most part because it was like friend to friend to friend. Yeah. Anyways, one of my girlfriends was like, Emily, you can't, (laughs) you have to stop BCCing people. You need to use MailChimp. You need to make this a little bit more legit. And then another friend came up, came on and she was like, here's your website. Like she literally hand delivered me a website. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. Shout out to Tracy, Tracy Dungo. If you ever need a website design, <laughs> she's phenomenal. But she hand delivered me my website and was like, this is something more than just a newsletter. Here you go. And so now I have this bare bones website that I'm looking at and I'm like, well, I only have one event per month. And I have no content on here. So that's when I started writing again, which I never, in high school, I I loved writing. In college, I loved writing, but I never considered myself a writer. And I realized one of my biggest frustrations I encountered was that women weren't great at selling themselves, but I could sell you, I could sell, I could be your agent, basically. You're brilliant at that. And vice versa. You're brilliant at selling other people. We undersell ourselves. It's our own humility. So anyway, so I started writing career profiles, which yours is going to be probably coming up in the next two weeks, which I'm really excited about. Um, And so what we, what I did is I shared it publicly on Facebook and on about 
maybe a day later, a friend from college reached out to me on Facebook and I still have the message. I've, you know, I kept it clearly thanks to Facebook. They keep things forever. And, um, she said to me like, Hey, I have no idea what exactly it is you're doing, but it seems so different than what's already in the space. I've already been in the junior league. I've been on a board of X, Y, and Z. And I think Chicago would really benefit from what you've created. And I remember just sitting dumbfounded at my desk and being like, it was probably 7.50 already, you know, working forever hours and just feeling like really taken aback. I'm like, wow, someone that, you know, validated my idea in a different city and thinks that this is something that could be useful. And, you know, between you and me, I was really kind of itchy in my job at that point where I was not quite sure that I wanted to do events and fashion for the rest of my life. I didn't feel super great at the end of the night making rich women buy expensive clothing. Like it just didn't fulfill my purpose (laughs) as I went to bed. And, um, it was, it was so funny. Sorry. The story is becoming like the long, long version of it. it. (laughs) And I went to my 10 year high school reunion and I, I saw everyone there and everyone was, you know, very confident and proud about what they were talking about and, or what they were, what their life choices were, be it, starting a family and living in the suburbs or working for their family business or being a teacher. And I just realized like I was so proud of what I'd created on the side, but not as proud as what I was doing during the day. And back to the, like saying it out loud, I, I decided to quit that Monday. And, um, I I gave myself like a three week week, but a three week window of quitting pretty much. But, um, I, yeah, I, so my idea was, uh, yeah, let's turn this into a business. If I did more than one event per month and I'd be able to, you know, raise the ticket prices a bit and monetize it through the ticket sales. And not only would it be limited to revenue coming in through New York, but it'd be revenue in Chicago. And then the next year I would also launch LA. And so that was my goal. It was New York, Chicago, LA. That's it. Like, two tickets or two events per month in all those markets, which I thought was going to be like a livable wage, um, (laughs) which it wasn't, and it didn't end up working out, but there's, um, so much that I learned from, from my job in doing special events. I was able to treat each of my markets like a store and each, store had its own manager. So I was able to assign ambassadors to each market. So I wasn't traveling every other week to New York, Chicago, LA. Um, but rather I was able to curate the experience from afar and then deliver it to the, that ambassador in the, in that market. And they executed the event for me. So in scaling, because you scaled to, you know, six, eight cities in the first, ten. Ten, oh, yeah. 10 in the first year. So yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. So how, what was the rationale that you'd be able to run more events? So scale up the, the revenue that was coming in as opposed to trying to do lots of events in New York City where you were based? Mm-hmm. So that was part of my rationale was, um, you know, doing one event per month with the exception of New York, where I was, that I could do multiple events. And um, also funny enough, I had eight weddings <laughs> that year as well. So there was a lot of, um, the word serendipity played a huge part of my life that year. I, I kid you not, this is a true story. I was writing to my friend, I'm so sorry, I can't make it to your bachelorette party in New Orleans. Um, it's my first year as an entrepreneur. I have eight weddings and bachelorette parties, like, thanks, but no thanks, pretty much. When I, at the same time, I got this Facebook message. Thank you to Facebook. I'm so grateful I didn't <laughs> delete any Facebook friends. Um, from a girl who lived in New York and who had moved to New Orleans. And I'd been, at this point, very public at what I was doing. And, like, the manifesto was live on my page. And she reached out to me and she asked me if any chance I would ever consider coming to New Orleans. And here's the reason why I should come to New Orleans. It's this great entrepreneurial hub. It's very like up and coming, yada, 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 yada. So she put like a huge list together of why I should be in New Orleans. And 
I deleted the email I was writing to my friend and I said, <laughs> yep, I will come to your bachelorette party. I stayed that Monday night and I launched New Orleans and I met my boyfriend that weekend too. So I'm very oh, grateful yes. that I, yeah, that I did say yes to New Orleans. Um, but it's very like those types of moments really happened. And the same thing with Atlanta, a girl I went to college with reached out to me and was like, you need to come to Atlanta. And she reached out to me, I think in March. And then in July I had a bachelorette party. So I was able to like put enough runway together to build up momentum for a huge launch in Atlanta. Isn't that crazy how the stars yeah. align? And I I love that story because it's the perfect example of just leaning into those moments and just saying yes when those opportunities come. You could have so easily talked yourself out of it and been like, you know, I don't have that base in New Orleans. How would I do it? You know, short mm-hmm. notice to kind of pull it together. But you did it. And it's... I'm such a firm believer in putting things out there and iterating. It doesn't have to be perfect from the beginning, but you have to be willing to say yes to those opportunities. Yes, exactly. Thank you. I think it's so, I could not agree more because you never know what is going to lead you where pretty much. Um, And then what's really neat about that is, you know, this year was a big year of figuring out the scaling part a bit more. So, you know, realistically, like, Yes, I could do an event a month in every single market, but um, it was just too hard to, it was hard to maintain. And my ambassadors do have full-time jobs and um, there's a lot of legwork on my end as well, just to, to put that together. So again, learning from my past job experiences where we, you know, if we managed 45 stores, that didn't mean that we had to have an event in every store every month. So what I've done is I've taken my 10 markets and I've turned them into tiered markets. So I have my flagship markets and my flagship markets are New York, Chicago, sorry, New York, LA, San Francisco. And then those are my three premier markets basically. And the reason why those are, that's the case is with New York, New York is a well-oiled machine. We have four to five events per month, like we have the cadence down. I don't have to be at every single event. I've got a team to support it. San Francisco, I'm spending a lot more time in San Francisco now. So um, my goal is to make San Francisco that well-oiled machine that made that I made in New York. And then the same thing with LA, being so close to LA now, being able to replicate multiple events per month. So that way, LA and San Francisco are trickier markets because New York, like, it doesn't matter where you live, there's a subway. In LA, I have to be so cognizant of having an event on the west side and rush hour traffic on the east side. So, (laughs) oh, it's, it's a whole learning curve. A quick break from today's show to talk to you all about our sponsor, Breather. Breather offer dedicated workspace in great locations in cities like London, LA, New York, San Francisco, Toronto, all without the big monthly price tag. So think beautiful spaces minus membership fees or commitment. All you need to do is pay by the hour or by the day and reschedule or cancel for free for up to two hours before your reservation. For more information, just head to breather.com. But that's actually a great segue into something I wanted to ask you. You were really brilliant at delegating and you're clearly doing it from the early stages of your business and really trusting these people to these ambassadors to to man the ship in these different in these different markets. What advice do you have about letting go? And were there any systems that you put in place to make sure that when you're not there and they're running an event, it's as if you were as if you were doing it. So, gosh, such a good question. And thank you for the compliment, because I feel like I'm a jackal and a hide with delegating sometimes. Um, I, I think the best part about having someone run something that you're passionate about is they are more fragile with what you've created than you are with it. So with me in particular, I feel like I can ramble on when I do my speech every time I start an event and when my ambassador does it like they they're excited to be there because it's more it's like an honor or kind of a a special it's yeah it's a special thing for them still and um it was interesting when I left New York 
I was training my amazing ambassador, Julia, and she, what I was doing was I was having her lead the events and then I would come 20 minutes into the event. So I would like arrive like a normal person arrives pretty much. And so I had her do the speech and everything. And it's such a weird feeling. Like, I feel like it's watching your understudy perform your lines. Yeah. And, um, but it was also like this chilling, incredible experience because like, wow, she, she like said nicer things than I would ever have said about my own company. So the, the point being with delegation, I think it's just know that this person wants to take care of your baby and wants to, you know, put the best foot forward, um, maybe sometimes better than you would take care of your own child. <laughs> uh, literally. So how, how are you splitting your time then? You've got these ambassadors. What would you mm-hmm. say is kind of your area of genius in the business that's kind of, you are the person that's uniquely positioned to, to work on those sorts of tasks? So my, my, most of my time is still in developing, it's spent in developing events. So it's having conversations, be it a phone conversation or an email conversation or an in-person meeting. And usually within the 15 minutes, I can figure out, okay, I want to do an event with this person. And here's like an essence of an example. Um, I was talking to a good friend of mine who has this beautiful jewelry line and she's like, I want to do an event with you. And I was like, cool, let's do an event together, but I don't want you to just sell your jewelry. I think that's, that's cool, but like, let's figure out a way to get that story out there a bit more. So what we're doing is rather than her limited to being the only person at an event, I said, why don't we put together a panel of a bunch of jewelers and we talk about starting your jewelry business from scratch. And that way everyone has their opportunity to share their story and then also be able to talk about the hardships because I think you relate to a brand so much more when you hear the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, Right. If you hear something that's hunky dory and perfect the whole time, we're like, Oh, They've had no problems. I don't want to say I think you're just more invested in the brand story because you know that Genesis, Mm -hmm. why it was created. Um, you know, what was going on in the founder's life that compelled them to to start in the beginning. So yeah, completely agree. So yeah, so that's how we're doing it. Um, moving forward is we're putting together a panel on on like the do's and don'ts essentially of creating a jewelry business and um, I, I love coming up with programming and it's been really great. This is year three now that we're moving into. And it, this year we're planning out till about May already, which I'm hoping by January I've locked down July. And so that way we can plan that much more proactively and 360 and be able to support with content on the blog and doing live podcasts beforehand or doing, um, a live Insta story, like a little interview or a video on Facebook, live stream on video on Facebook. Um, and yeah, that's been really, really neat to do and to build. No, definitely. And that's what I really love about your, your kind of event program is that it's so diverse. Like I saw that you were talking about, um, an event about how to buy your first home. You did one with fertility. You did like a meditation and it's so holistic it's not just career focused it's not just it's social it's all of the things that are going on in you know women of our generation's lives right now um so no you do that so well thank you I think that's the hardest thing as a business owner to articulate even for myself see this is where you're so good at being my woo girl is (laughs) I you know a lot of people they're like oh so it's a professional networking group I'm like well Yes, we're professionals, but we're not. It's personal. It's professional. It's future. I always say it's future life self because you never know. Like, what if you went down a fertility, had a fertility problem problem down the road? Heaven forbid. And you're like, oh, well, at least I'm educated on it now. Or um, you move to a different city and you had met that girl from California before, in one of the events. And she's now your realtor for getting you a house in California yeah. Um, I, I just think it's, it's so much more than just a transaction and Definitely. we're not, 
a BNI or anything like that. Completely. And that's actually a good segue I wanted to talk to you about is about how you work with your your brand partners and mm-hmm. the, the kind of companies that you're collaborating on. Because how much in terms of ratio would you say your revenue comes from ticket sales compared to sponsors? So most of it comes right now from a mixture of sponsors. Membership is our primary revenue stream right now. And membership, my biggest like kicking myself moment was that I didn't figure out membership sooner. Last year, I did like an iteration of membership where I did packages. And this year, um, I remember I was on a plane to Portland, Oregon last September. And I was like, wait a second hold on, if I did this, 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 like I was like calculating a bunch of things. Like I feel like I had my beautiful mind moment on a plane. (laughs) And um, I realized like what I'd prefer is I want people not picking and feeling like, okay, I only have six events in my package. So I want to savor each one. And I want to like handpick. I don't, I don't want you to do that. I want you to come to all of them. So I changed the way that I, I structured my membership. So we have three month, six month and 12 month commitments. And with those, it gets less expensive with the more months that you commit. It's now $40 a month for 12 month membership and you get unlimited event access. How do you reconcile the fact that, you know, like my business, you were very much driven by a mission. So when I heard of the prices for membership, I was surprised at how affordable it is considering how much it goes into preparing and how many events that you're doing and offering them for free in this membership and the fact that people can bring, bring a friend along. Um, how do you balance, you know, trying to make sure that it's accessible so you can get as many people involved as possible, but also, trying to scale a profitable business? Every single day I have this talk with myself. Um, I, so, I mean, this is the, the, to, to be completely honest, this is the best thing about the, the product or the brand that I'm able to offer. So I'm able to keep my overhead relatively low and, um, you know, a lot of the spaces or a lot of the experiences I can get at a, a pretty decent price. So it's not like I'm breaking the bank on per event the way that a normal, gosh, the way that I was when I worked in fashion, you know, spending a grand minimum per event, I'm able to be creative and and clever with the way that we approach things. Um, That being said, like sponsorship is the direction that we are going in. So each event I'm looking for more monthly or quarterly sponsors so it's not just like a one-off sponsor oh hey we're gonna throw some bucks at you for this particular event but being a bigger presence in the programming we do moving forward um so we can be a little bit more we can spend a little bit more without me having to be scrappy on the back end totally and you touched on this earlier but one of the great things about kind of spearheading a new a new sector or a new movement or a new type of content is that yeah you get you know you're you're one of the first um but the downside is that there can be a lot of education that comes along with it i remember when i first started the lifestyle edit and people didn't understand why i wasn't taking photos of my outfit and putting that and putting putting that on the website and i was just like that's not the point that's not what we're trying to do um so so much of the conversations i was having in the early days was just explaining to a lot of the brands and partners that i'd had existing relationships with what I was creating and why it was different and how it could align. Um, how have the conversations that you've been having with sponsors and brands changed as, you know, women, entrepreneurship and just issues related to women are now becoming more, you know, in the forefront? Has Have those conversations changed? I'm sure that, you know, brands are now mm-hmm. getting it a lot more than they did when you first started. For sure. I, I, the value that I offer the brand, not only that is it this exact clientele that they want to be in front of, I think that's the, the sexiest selling point that I have is for the most part, I'm hand delivering them an audience of people that if I say 40 people are coming to the event, 40 people are coming to the event rather than you doing the legwork of inviting all of the same customers over and over and over again and hoping that your 40 RSCPs turn into 
at least 15 people showing up. Um, so through the ticketing, so since that I, I do ticket and the curated matches go into each event, um, it really makes it that much more like it makes it more authentic because the people are invested in the event itself. So a lot of times, I, I mean, I'm very upfront with every brand I partner with. If, for example, we do it at a store, I tell them this isn't a shopping event. This isn't a sip and shop or anything of that sort. You're welcome to ex extend a discount, but you are getting brand awareness and client acquisition out of me. And that is far value, more valuable than one purchase that will come, you know, any purchase that come that evening oh, because that. your brand is not, is you know, maybe not well known or no one knew that you were even in Soho or that this pop-up was happening. And, and it's been very fortuitous because brands have been open to it. And it's so funny because I was such a jerk when I was an events manager and I was so stingent on that ROI. And, but I was also putting, you know, putting $2,000 on the line for every single event. And so what I always say to my brand partners, okay, cool. So we're hosting it in your store. Um, you're providing the food and the drink. You don't have to get the high premier caterers and, do bite size hors d'oeuvres and hot servers. You can do uh, like a very robust cheese platter for under a hundred bucks and a few bottles of wine and still have an elegant event without exactly. breaking the bank. It's like a lot of the things that the money goes on is, is not actually what creates these enriching experiences. So yeah, let's cut through all of that. Um, and you can actually put the resource somewhere else. But it's really, it's really inspiring to hear you say that because I think it's so easy, especially when you quit your job, you are now relying on this as your primary mm -hmm. source of income to kind of feel like you're at the behest of brand. You know, a, a partnership comes up, you, it's so easy to kind of feel, get that thirstiness and just be like, mm -hmm. okay, you don't have... It, it makes it a lot harder to feel like you can negotiate. Um, and clearly what you're saying is that, you know, even when, if that were to happen, it's always about putting that community first because that's why they're, they're signing on as members. So you need to maintain that. Yes, it's, but it's, I mean, back to that point though, it's so, I think that's the trickiest part is when it is your own product, it's sometimes you get nervous selling it. You're like, well, I have to remember I feel like I sometimes have split personalities where you're like, okay, well, why would they want to partner with little me? And then you're like, oh, wait a second. Why wouldn't they want to partner with, with us? We're incredible. Yeah, exactly. We're so, <laughs> you know, you, you definitely have those moments, um, that, that come through. Do you have any advice about what people should put in a deck when they're pitching to brands for sponsorship? <laughs> oh gosh. I'm working on that every single day. Um, what sort of I, metrics do they ask you? What 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 are some of the things that people should consider? One of the things that most people ask me about are what's the demographic of your of your individuals? Like who who are they? Where do they work? How old are they? How much money do you think they make? Which is an interesting one because I'm like I feel very protective at the same time. <laughs> that shouldn't matter they're amazing whoever they are um so that but that's one of the questions and I think also people want to know who you've partnered with in the past so okay. I think it's important to say like okay we've done it with fill in the blank brands or fill in the blank um event ideas and that really helps and also metrics like case studies return on investment um, oh, this store hosted us twice. And now, you know, our re repeat shoppers have been X, Y, and Z. So if for, for some people who are just starting off completely fresh, would you say recommend then doing a few projects or events for free so that they have mm -hmm. those case studies in order to then be able to pitch for pay? For sure. Okay. Yeah, I think I think doing things for free initially is always a great way to start. Um, for us right now, I mean, gosh, the decks are always hard because I always feel like at the end of the day, I'll just pick up the phone call, pick up the phone and call the person and being like, okay, I sent you a deck, but 
really, it means nothing until two things happen. One, you experience my event personally. So come as my guest. And so I'll invite the person as my guest and they experience it. And then they're like, oh. I get it. I get it. That's a good, that's a good strategy. Yeah. So I think like that feeling of making that person feel like a VIP too, and like really make sure that they're part of the community in a more holistic way. Um, And then the second part is, I always, for the brands or for a speaker or whatnot, like my value proposition, even for a speaker, because as a startup, we really don't have much of a budget, but like I'll say to a speaker, like I'm not bamboozling you. I want to make this very, very transparent between both of us. I don't, I don't want to pull wool over your eyes or anything like that. Um, here's what I can offer you and here's what you're going to be getting out of this event. So I'm, delivering you potential clients. Like these are people that are so interested in what your service is that basically I just gave you a client roster of all the people that want to know how to be a brander or like how to, how to do branding or need branding for their business. So when they think of branding for their business, who are they going to think of your company? Um, and then same thing with like, offering them a career profile and giving them an exposure to a list and an audience they might not have already been connected with. Definitely. No, that's really good, really good advice. And I, I want to ask you, this is a personal question because I've, yeah. I've been asked this like three times this week, actually, um, by readers. How do you feel about the whole sales side of what it is that you do? Because I always Mm. say to my clients that when you're in stage one of your business, lead generation and lead conversion is our number one responsibility as founders. Until you have a solid regular source of lead generation and then internal systems to convert those Mm -hmm. into money, you don't have a business. So mm-hmm. it took me a while to realize that. Cause I'm like, yeah, the content. Yeah. Like all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, I can yeah. do that until, you know, thy kingdom come. If I don't get those two limbs in my business working, I don't have a business. So that's when I started fleshing out my team and having people mm-hmm. more on the execution side. So I can just focus on lead generation and conversion. But sales wasn't something that, necessarily came naturally to me um but it's something that I feel like we all have to learn and mm-hmm. and you know just take the ickiness about of out of negotiating and talking about money how have you found that experience oh my gosh I it's so so relevant right now um it's so funny when I started my business I remember talking to Salesforce and they're like, okay, so what do you do for lead generation? And I was like, what are you talking about? What is a lead generation? Like, why do I need a lead? If they want to come to the event, they'll come to the event. Like, duh. And um, now I'm having another call with them because I'm like, so how can you help me with lead generation? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second. Here we go. Full circle. And I think starting a business, my biggest reluctancy was to spend money where you're like, I'm not going to spend money on that. I can do it myself. Um, and back to your point about delegation, I think, you know, understanding where your expertise lies and where your strengths are. And so if sales or conversions are probably, you are like, that's your bread and butter and that's your area of, um, of focus. Like you shouldn't be doing your QuickBooks anymore. And those yeah. 14 hours a week shouldn't be dedicated to you doing your QuickBooks, like pay the $150 to have a wonderful woman organize them for you. So for me with leads and for conversions, I mean, I, I have business coaches and friends that coach me and, and whatnot. And they're like, um, yeah, you shouldn't be reaching out to every person that signs up for your newsletter. You should automate that. And I was like, yes, I get that. However, you know, and I'm like, and I have an automation and there's that in place where it like gives a welcome email and whatnot, but literally I will go through and it's on my list of things to do this week. And I will personally introduce myself to every single person and give them the opportunity if I'm in town or if I'm not in town to have coffee or like have a phone call with me because yes, I know my membership's $40 a month. You're like, woohoo, $480, big whoop. But for me, I want 
two things. I want that person to connect with me and know that I'm not just like a random person that's not involved in the business at all. Like I'm so freaking involved. I'm calling you and taking probably 45 minutes to an hour of my time just to talk to you because I want to be that person that you think of for so much in your life. Like if that means I'm looking for I'm looking for a new doctor in New York city. I'm looking for a new dentist. Like I've got you covered or Emily, I just started my business and I have no idea where to begin with the accounting purpose. Um, can, or accounting side, can you help me? Oh yeah. Here's talk to our girl over here. Like, I want to be your cool, big sister, best friend, like mom resource (laughs) that helps you, helps you navigate things because I feel like I've made so many mistakes down. Well, I've made a ton of mistakes and I don't want you to make those mistakes. So I want to be able to help set you on the right track. So for me, I completely concur with like the lead generation. And I hate saying it like that because it feels so gimmicky. Like you're all, you're just a lead. I just, just want to turn you into a sale, but I, I just want to build like this bomb ass community of women that are helping each other. And if that means me getting on the phone with them for 30, 30 minutes to a few hours, um, I will do that. And that is such a fantastic point because I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk who said it in his podcast. And I'd never thought about it before, but it's so true. People are always thinking about going big scale, scale. I want more followers, more people on my list. And one of the amazing things when you're starting, your business is still relatively young is that the numbers are manageable enough that you can really love up on your customers and love up on your community. And, you know, that person that may have 10 times as many followers on Instagram may not have the time just because they have so many followers to send proper responses to every single person that leaves a comment on that photo or respond to every person who emails back um, you know, in response to an email address. And those are the things actually that really allow your business to grow because you're loving up and nurturing your customers. Um, so that's why I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. When people think lead generation, it's like, oh my God, this is kind of really icky, <laughs> horrible thing. But I always say it's that give, 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 sell. The more yep. that you're giving that value, you know, when you're like, oh, actually we have membership. It's not this really awkward conversation. It's just like, like oh my God. Yeah. That's like the natural next step, of course. But that's because you've really spent that time um, nurturing that. And that is exactly. part of that lead generation process. And it's more like, hey, be part of something bigger. Don't just come in for a one-off event. Like, be part of the community, and I want you to get the bang for your buck and also get your company to pay for it. Like, (laughs) at this point... At this point, this is something that companies should be paying for you to do. Like if, if it means meeting amazing women, you're connecting professionally and personally, like for $40 a month, that be, should be, I know a lot of companies are doing this, which is so phenomenal. They're giving each individual like a stipend. I maybe love that. Yeah. Like $500 a year or maybe a little bit more to spend how they see fit because they don't have the bandwidth to create the programming that needs to be created for these individuals. Just to round up, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons you've learned since taking the plunge? And what are some of the things that, you know, no Mm. one could have prepared you for that you just learned by, by virtue of (laughs) doing it? Um, Gosh, I feel like this is the best therapy session I've had in a very long time. Um, very cathartic, even talking about it out loud. I The biggest lesson I've learned is to ask for help. I have been historically a very proud person. And I, I mean, one of my biggest weaknesses in my corporate world was I was a yes girl. And I would say yes to everything. And then I would have all these things to do on my plate. And I didn't have the time or the bandwidth to do them all. So now, rather than figuring out a solution and always being the one to do it, be able to say like, hey, so-and-so, I need help you know, building, building the list of attendees. Or, hey, I need help securing a sponsor. Or, or I need help checking people into this event. We had a huge event, 50 people event in L.A. last week. 
And there was no way in hell that I could man the door, pour the wine, and also, like, greet people the way that I wanted them to be greeted. And, you know, the proud me is like, yes, I can do it all. Of course, I can do it all. And then, fortunately, help happened. And they were exceptional in helping me do those things that would have been really stressful had I not had it there. So yes, accepting that you need help is probably the number one thing and asking for it and being very forthcoming about it um, publicly, like showing your vulnerability and showing it. Facebook is an incredible platform. I literally should work for Facebook. I feel like I advertise for them. <laughs> it's so um, weird. I've like re-fallen in love with Facebook too. Yeah. Yeah. And creating communities. There's so many amazing communities to be a part of on Facebook. Like I, I don't know if you're a part of it. You should be. We have like a private Facebook group. You can post things. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You just posted in it. Silly me. Um, but anyways, like asking for help. And then the biggest learning I think is just how much goes into a business. I think that there's this perception of an entrepreneur or, um, someone that has, has their own business that it's like, wow, you have so much flexibility and that's so cool. You get to travel <laughs> oh, all the time. Man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like, wow, you must like be a lady that lunches now. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur does, does not mean that if you are eating lunch at lunchtime, it is not synonymous to being a lady that lunches. I, I am a lady and I do eat lunch, but that does not mean that I'm like not doing work or whatnot. I literally am. I've probably worked more in my entire life than I have ever worked. Somebody it's, said, to, someone said to me recently, like, yeah, you know, really busy with work. I really want to start my own business because, you know, I just want to finish this, this, what I need to do in this job and then like start my business and chill a little bit. <laughs> and I was just like, start your up. business yeah. and chill. Like, dude, you have yeah. no clue. Yeah. No, it's not real. It is not real at all, guys. Calm down. Um, but yeah, I think that is the biggest like misconception of entrepreneurship, that it is harder. I'm paying myself like beginning wages of a college graduate in New York City, and you have to be scrappy as hell. That being said, I, I think that's the coolest thing about my business. It's opened up so many doors that I wouldn't have been able to be open to had I just been like a normal person. Like I can still live a really lovely life, but it's like, again, more creatively than you would normally. And I think also you, you don't realize how much just like personal growth you do. So take away the, the milestones for your business, but just the, the internal stuff is, Mm-hmm. you don't really realize like, when I look back sometimes I'm like wow I was so afraid of doing that and I still did it and like you know the tenacity that that goes into you know managing the, the everyday challenges and constantly coming up with solutions and you know really putting mm-hmm. yourself out there even when sometimes you don't feel like it it's it's so many <laughs> so many internal things as well as the kind of big business milestones that come along with it Oh, for sure. And I think you have to, like, I don't do it enough. And I'm, we should probably like just schedule a therapy call between the two of us every week. (laughs) Um, But just to pat each other on the back too, and be able to say like, okay, wow. Did you realize what you just put together? Like how extraordinary that accomplishment, I can't even speak English, (laughs) accomplishment is. And being able to to really recognize that because right now I feel like I whiz by things. I'm like, okay, cool. Event done On to the next. And they're like, wait, you had how many influencers there or you got coverage on, on this, or you were just written in where, and I'm like, uh-huh, keep going. We got to keep going. So I think enjoy the process and enjoy the journey just as much as you feel like you have to get stuff done stat, but also like savor it and reflect because that's something I'm it's so hard for me to do like I want to journal every morning and I want to meditate blah 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 but like I need to start doing that because when I start writing those things down I'm like oh oh yeah like let me manifest more beautifulness if I actually took a moment and paused and reflected 
I love that. And Emily, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Um, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. So that's it for this week's episode of the Lifestyle Edit Podcast. You can download more episodes of the show and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love a review or recommendation. It's the number one way for us to share these stories and insights with as many creative female entrepreneurs as possible. And don't forget, all of the information on how to join the TLE community is in the show notes or simply head to thelifestyleedit.com to sign up.